Hello, and welcome to the Heaven Bound Podcast. My name is Jason Harden. I'm here with Roger Schaus, and we are opening the Bible in search of fuel for your spiritual journey. This is where we talk about life, the way it was meant to be, and what it means to be a disciple of Jesus in the 21st century. Thanks for joining us on the journey. Roger, this past Friday, we kicked off a little two-part series. It is the last Friday today in October, and as maybe surprising as it sounds, we're talking witches and ghosts. Absolutely. Of course, the end of October is is the season of Halloween. It's a time when little children dress up and go trick-or-treating and such things. And as you drive about town, you see all kinds of houses decorated with skeletons and witches and ghosts. And uh, my wife and I just the other day watched Charlie Brown's Christmas, or I mean Charlie <laughs> Brown's uh, Halloween, and there, there they all were wearing ghost outfits. And so uh, we're going to look in our Bible, and we're going to know some things the Bible talks about these things. Now, in our first episode. We talked about King Saul and the witch at Endor and how he conjured her to bring up uh, Samuel from the past and uh, didn't turn out too good for Saul in doing that and uh, just some things from that. Today, we're going to go to the New Testament. And again, we're going to follow this little thread of witches and ghosts, and we're going to see, again, some things that come out of this, and then we'll have some practical lessons for us as we kind of journey through these things together. Yeah, if you're following along with the Bible, you can open back to Acts chapter 8, where we'll read in just a moment. Ghost really shows up just one time. There's a an account in Matthew and a time in Mark where, of course, Jesus is walking on the water of the Sea of Galilee. Matthew Matthew in Matthew chapter 14 tells us that it was in the fourth watch of the night, sometime between 3 and 6 a.m. So we're talking about the dead of night. The disciples are out on uh, the sea and it is, uh, they are being beaten by the waves. The wind is against them. It's a a rough, rough night, and Jesus came walking on the sea. Verse 26 tells us that when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, it is a ghost, and they cried out in fear. Of course, it wasn't a ghost. Jesus immediately spoke to them saying, take heart, it is I do not be afraid. And so we can rule that sort of thing out. That's not what we're talking about. That was Jesus manifesting his power and his glory. But Roger, just like last Friday in 1 Samuel, in Acts, we read about some strange things. We do. And so our, our first occasion is going to be Acts chapter 8, where we read about Simon. We commonly call him Simon the Sorcerer. And that very terminology kind of brings up different thoughts in our minds. But begin verse 9. Now, there, now, this takes place in the city of Samaria where Philip was preaching. Now, there was a man named Simon who formerly was practicing magic in the city, astonishing the people of Samaria, claiming to be someone great. And they all, from the greatest, from the smallest to the greatest, were given attention to him, saying, This man is what is called the great power of God. And they were giving him attention because he had for a long time astonished them with his magic arts. But when they believed Philip preaching the good news about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were being baptized men and women alike. 
So, so hey, when we see, see the uh, writer here using the word magic a couple times, that he practiced magic in verse 9, verse 11, he astonished him with his magic arts. Uh, what should come to our mind is not the, the guy who has uh, card tricks and pick out a card and I'm going to guess which card <laughs> that is, or I'm going to cut this rope in half and, and do a couple things. That rope seems to be uh, back whole again. You know, those are things we see with magic shows, as, as we think are common times. This has to do with potions, and this has to do sometimes even with drugs. And it was astonishing people. And the idea behind this was that he was he was manifesting himself to be something that he wasn't and the great crowds were thronging to him until they started hearing something that was real and that was Jesus and when they heard something that was real the people were leaving Simon and going to Philip and listening to the real gospel of Jesus Christ even Simon himself would be baptized, the Bible says, just in the next verse or two. He recognized what he was doing wasn't right. He was fooling the people. And what Philip was doing was teaching the gospel of Jesus, and that was genuine and right. And there was a major difference with those things. Yeah, I've got to believe that what he saw in Philip, and then if we kept reading Luke's account in the Apostles, I've got to believe he recognized, okay, this is a power that I cannot explain. This is beyond me. This isn't anything that I can summon or or very evidently do on my own. Uh, he's humbled. Now, he's got struggles, right, that Luke documents, and and uh, our listeners can go on to read about that uh, afterwards. But interesting how he is described there in Acts chapter 8. There's another magician in Acts chapter 13. The Apostle Paul and Barnabas are traveling throughout the Mediterranean. They come to a particular island, and as they've gone through the whole island, in Acts 13 and verse 6, they come upon a certain magician. He's described by Luke as a Jewish false prophet named Bar-Jesus, and he was with the proconsul, this Roman overseer named Sergius Paulus, a man of intelligence who summoned Barnabas and Saul and sought to hear the word of God. So get this scene in your mind. We've got a Roman authority who's interested. We've got a Jewish false prophet, a magician that has had the Roman's ear, and he doesn't like this. This magician, in verse 8, he's described as Elemus. That's the meaning of his name. He opposed them, seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. But Saul, he's filled with the Holy Spirit. He looks intently at this false prophet and says, You son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, full of all deceit and villainy. Will you not stop making crooked the straight paths of the Lord? And now behold, the hand of the Lord is upon you and you will be blind and unable to see the sun for a time. He has tried to keep Sergius Paulus from seeing and now Luke tells us immediately mist and darkness falls on him. He has to be led around by the hand. The proconsul believes when he sees what has occurred. He's astonished 
at the teaching of the Lord. And so clearly this man who also is described as a magician, there is no way that he can withstand the preaching or the power of the gospel. And and one of the things we notice as we kind of go through these is the the obvious and the things that were not obvious. You know, it's one thing to fool somebody. It's one thing to kind of, you know, put the wool over their eyes and then just a pure, simple message of Jesus. And we're going we're to contrast that here in just a minute. But another example comes to us from Acts chapter 19. And again, this this is a a time in which uh, the apostles were in Gentile country. There's a lot of paganism. There's a lot of uh, ideas that just wasn't true going on taking place. And so in this setting here, we read about some Jewish exorcists who went from place to place and attempted to name over those who had evil spirits the name of the Lord Jesus, saying, "I adjure you by Jesus, whom Paul preaches." But there was a Jewish chief priest who had seven sons who were doing this. And the evil spirit, it says in verse 15, answered and said to them, I recognize Jesus and I know Paul, but who are you? (laughs) And the man in whom was the evil spirit leaped on them and subdued all of them and overpowered them. So they fled out of that house naked and wounded. And this became known to all, both Jews and Greeks who lived in Ephesus, and fear fell upon all of them because of the name of the Lord Jesus was being magnified. So in this setting here, we, we have some Jewish leaders who were trying to do exorcism, and, and again, it was bogus, it wasn't working, and when they encountered an evil spirit, the evil spirit recognized, you guys aren't right, but Paul is, God is, and so he turns on them. Now, there's more to this. And after that, it says, many, verse 18, of those who had believed kept coming, confessing, and disclosing their practices. And many of those who practiced magic brought their books together and began burning them in the sight of everyone. And they counted up the price of them and found it to be 50,000 pieces of silver. Unbelievable amount. And so these Christians are purging their hearts and their homes of these false, dark practices. They realize that they're not going to do these things anymore. And once again, we find a very strange and unusual story taking place in this. Yeah, there is no doubt. I mean, I uh, one of the passages that comes to my mind, just to try and, and wrap our minds around what's being described here, Paul would later in his letter to the Ephesians acknowledge that we are wrestling not against flesh and blood, but against, listen to this description, the rulers, the authorities against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Clearly, the Holy Spirit through Paul would have us to understand there is more going on around us that we can see with our physical eyes. Now, uh, human beings have for millennia 
tried to come up with their own explanations and superstitions as to why things are the way that they are. I mean, many of these things are as old as the books of Genesis and Exodus and and beyond. And we know one of the great messages of of the Bible is there are so-called gods and goddesses who are nothing more than the imagination of man. Uh, You know, we can cut down a tree and carve it. We can carve out a big block of stone. And those things are nothing compared to the living God. But we are reading about some unusual things here in the book of Acts. So, Roger, if if someone... They're reading through, let's say, the book of Acts, and they've heard about magicians a couple of times. They've even heard here in Acts chapter 19 about an evil spirit that has just whipped up on seven grown sons of a, a Jewish priest. Where would you say we need to begin to wrap our minds around what's going on here? Well, you know, I, I would say, as in we read the Bible, as is in our days today, there's some things that are just unusual. The things that are hard to explain, and there may be things that we don't fully understand. But when we come to Jesus, we see something that's very clear, something that's very absolute, and something that's very definite. In Acts chapter 4, after Peter and John had cured a crippled man in the third chapter, and they're brought before the Jewish officials, and they're told not to do this stuff anymore, one of the things that the council, as they're talking among each other, is that they say, we cannot deny what is happening. They, no one ever asked Jesus to show me the inside story. No one ever said, you're doing a trick. Let me see that again. Uh, people recognized the miracles. When Lazarus in John 11 was raised from the dead, they recognized that was real. And they had to deal with Lazarus as well as Jesus there. And so there's lots of things in our life that, that we may see. It just seems odd, seems unusual, hard to explain these things. But when it comes to what God says, we don't walk away with that same feeling. We walk away with the idea that this is sure, this is true, this is absolute. I don't feel like I've been fooled. Um, you know, I, I've been to a lot of magic shows before, and, and I've seen guys do amazing things, and I know I'm being tricked. I know I'm being tricked, and I'm watching what they do with their hands, and I know it's just a sleight of hands. I know something they're doing is real swift, and I'm not catching it, but... It's not that way with miracles. It's not that way with Jesus. And so that, that, that's where we need to begin with. We need to stand with what's absolute, what's verified, what's true, and that's Jesus Christ in the Bible. It's fascinating to me, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Jesus is derided. He is mocked. I mean, he is insulted. But never, ever, ever do we read about him being described as a magician, you know, charged with sleight of hand or anything like that. Like you said, his most bitter opponents clearly on more than one occasion said that a great miracle has been done. We cannot refute that. What we've got to do is kill him (laughs) because he's a threat to who we are and and what we have a hold of. And so I love that uh, acknowledgement that even though there are unusual things around us, Jesus is certain. What about 
the person who seems to be much more intrigued by focusing on the unknown than what can really be known. What would you say to them? Well, you know, just as we read in Acts 19 about uh, the disciples bringing these black magic books and burning them. We got stuff like that today. Uh, my grandma, a long time ago, she had a Ouija board, and you would you would move, you'd ask her questions and move it around, and it's supposed to give you the answers. And some people get into the horoscopes and astrology and all and all kinds of things like that. And we can spend a lot of time going down through that. Again, things that are unknown, things that are not absolute. Or we can spend our time with what is true, and that's the Word of God. Psalms 19, as it describes the Word of God, talks about how the Word of God is true. The Word of God is sure. And what's interesting is, you know, these verses we've gone through today. In Acts chapter 8, you had Simon. And Simon knew what he was doing. And Simon knew what Philip was doing. And what does Simon do? He leaves what he was doing, and he gets baptized by Philip. And so he recognized the difference between what is fake and what is real. And we need, to, we need to recognize that, too. We can spend a lot of time going down these dark rabbit holes and going down and looking at all this mysterious stuff, and you're wasting your life. You need to, you need to go with what is true, what is revealed, what is absolute. What you know is going to get you to heaven. And that's, again, some things that we need to keep before us with that. From Matthew to near the end of the Bible, we have this picture of demons knowing exactly who Jesus is, right? And not on par with Jesus, not real rivals to Jesus, completely unsettled by Jesus. You know, you're talking about things that can be known. Makes me think of Mark chapter 1, where in Capernaum on a Sabbath in the synagogue, there's a man with an unclean spirit, and he cries out and says, what have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to to destroy us, I know who you are. We we ought to listen to that, right? Maybe it is much easier for a modern person to be fascinated by the demonic, the unclean spirit, the the, the mystical and so-called magical, because maybe I can dabble in that and it doesn't demand much from me, right? But James, for instance, clearly would have everyone to understand the demons know, the demons believe and shudder. We ought to follow in their, in this particular instance, their lead and recognize there is a God high above all of these things. Maybe that we don't have all of the answers to. What we're being pointed to is the one who can be known. You know, and I'd throw in this category also aliens. Uh, there are so many people get so worked up about aliens and life and other planets and all these things. Uh, we know what the Bible says, and we follow what the Bible says. And sometimes people just spend more time chasing the unknown than what is known. And some of these things you'll never know the answer to. Some of these things uh, will take you places you don't want to go, and they'll take you away from the Lord. And so, uh, you know, I, I really appreciate what these people in Acts 19 did. They recognized that these things were wrong. And they realized that no one should have any part of them. So they brought these books together and they burned them. 
50,000 pieces of silver. That was very, very expensive. They didn't go to eBay. They didn't take them to Goodwill. They burned them. If it's not right for us, it's not right for anyone to have them. And so they, they saw the need to purge their homes and purge their hearts of some of these things that's not going to help you get to heaven. What a great illustration it is for us. We we can dabble and play around and and flirt with things that are dark and unknown, or we can stand in the light of Jesus Christ. I think we all stand with Jesus Christ because we know the absolute. We know what is right. Yeah, I just pulled up uh, while you were trying to to get us to wrap our minds around 50,000 pieces of silver. The best estimate that I can see based on, okay, you know, hourly wages today, what 50,000 pieces of silver would have meant in ancient Ephesus. We're talking about approximately, listen to this, $6 million worth of books that these people burn. Now, maybe this would be a good note for us to draw our, our uh, conversation for today to a close. That sure does sound like, Roger, what the Bible describes as real repentance, right? It's not, well, my bad, sorry about that. Uh, you know, I shouldn't have done that, but not changing my course of action. It's It's not putting what I'm ashamed of in the closet, thinking that, well, maybe it'll come come in handy later on. This is true, genuine repentance. And, and it cost them. I mean, 50,000 pieces, of $6 million is a lot of money then and today. And they could have said, well, you know what? Just think if we sold all this money and gave it to Paul. Man, that could help him on his journey. They didn't go there. Just think about, well, you know, if the economy goes south, well, we can always sell this, and that will get us through that. They didn't go there. These things were not right. These things were not going to take them closer to God, and so they burned them. And what a practical, powerful illustration of getting rid of things that has no part in our lives. Today, it may be other things. We may have some books like that. We may have some DVDs like that. And what we need to do is just get them out because they're not good. And don't take them to Goodwill. If they're not decent, get rid of them and just break them, burn them, destroy them. Because if they're not fit for you, they're not fit for anyone. And that's that's what these disciples were seeing And it's a great, great illustration of we have more confidence and faith in God than what these books could bring us. And they did what was right in those things. I love how Luke, as he is just describing how the gospel spread, starts in Jerusalem, the same city where Jesus died, was buried, rose again, ascended back to his Father in heaven. The people who carried this message carried it into so many different contexts, right? It it would start among the Jews. If there was a synagogue, we would go to the synagogue first. It went to thoroughly pagan territory where some see the miracles of Paul and Barnabas and they're convinced that the Greek gods are walking among us. Let's get a sacrifice together. It goes all the way to Rome. It has spread all around the world But how amazing that whatever language we speak, whenever we live, the gospel is clear. 
Jesus can be known. God's grace is sufficient to transform anybody's life. Uh, the Bible acknowledges pretty early on in Deuteronomy 29, 29, that there are secret things that we just don't know about, right? Those secret things belong to the Lord, but he has revealed everything we need in order to have a relationship with him. And Roger, it sure does seem like that is what matters most of all. It sure does. And we, we can have the confidence that God wants us to have as we stick with what is known. And rather than chasing these unknowns, these question marks in our lives, let's stick with what we know, what's revealed. And God has shown us a path that gets to heaven. He doesn't say, come and find me. He doesn't say, good luck, you're on your own. It's clearly stated in the scriptures. And we can know absolutely what we're doing is right when we walk with Jesus and love him and have the faith that God wants us to have in him. Witches and ghosts. Who would have guessed? <laughs> Roger, thanks for joining me today. Thanks to all of you for listening to the Heaven Bound Podcast. We hope our conversation has helped you set your mind on things above and given you a little more fuel for the journey. Always remember, when you're walking with Jesus, you're heaven bound and the best is yet to come.